0: Welcome to No Diagnostic Required, a monthly look at what's happening in the C++ community with me, Phil Nash, and my co-host, Anastasia Kazakova. Anastasia, how are you doing this month?
1: Um, Good, good. Actually, like, swam like 38 kilometers during the recent couple of weeks, so a little wow. bit tired. <laughs> how are you? Yeah,
0: but I'm okay. I'm just wondering how you got back from that.
1: That was just a summer fast in chat brains we were doing um, in the company. So it was fun. Uh, like I never had, you know, a summer fast online <laughs> when you can't actually meet the people, but you do some activities together. So, yeah, that was fun.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I still have questions, but we'll move on. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm afraid uh, we, we've done it again. And um, this is the June episode, but it's uh, sort of slipped to beginning of July. That is, unfortunately, one of the dangers of targeting at the end of the month when we do our wrap-up. But this time, I think I do actually have a valid excuse. So not only did I change jobs last month, and more on that a bit later, but I ran a conference, C++ on C. And Anastasia, I think you were there at the conference as well. So how was C++ on C for you?
1: Um, yeah, I did a half-day workshop, uh, not a full-day workshop, but still lots of preparation. I guess I spent quite many time on preparing that one. And that was actually my, I guess, longest workshop I've ever done. So I was like, you know, a little bit afraid of doing that for the first time, but it went good. It was dedicated to code analysis in modern C++ We've covered a whole bunch of tools and a whole bunch of approaches there. It was interesting. I guess I had something like seven people um, uh, maximum there, but it was a very nice conversation during the whole half day. So how was the rest of the conference?
0: Yeah, it was good. I think it went pretty well overall. And having those half day workshops was one of the new things that we tried. We tried quite a few new things this time because we wanted to change the format up a bit because I think people are getting a little bit tired of the, the the same online conferences now. Some things worked, some things didn't work so well, <laughs> I think <laughs> I have to say. But um, one of the things didn't work so well, I think the numbers were a little bit down this year, but I think that's mostly because about two-thirds of the programme was the workshops, whether it's half day, one day, or two day, which w- was great that we actually had quite a few people there for the workshops, but it did mean that not so many people came for just the traditional talks even though that was a that was a longer day so we, we still have 12 videos from the talks to release on uh YouTube in the near future in the next few weeks so uh, watch out for those uh, the workshops weren't recorded so um they won't be going up um but talking of conferences there's there's a few more coming up of course Well, there always is <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a couple to mention in particular uh CPPP that's the uh, the the one in Paris I can't remember all the other P's to stand for, uh, but they cancelled last year, um, caught out by the pandemic, of course. But this year they're going to be uh, running, but fully online. That's going to be in December, and their call for speakers has just opened. So now is the time to put yourself forward for for speaking at CPPP. I uh, say so it will be online, not actually in Paris. Uh, you don't have to speak French, but if you do, you can actually do a talk in French as well if you like. And then CPP Con will be in October this year. I think we've mentioned that before. And the call for speakers for that is still open, but only just. Uh, As I say this now, I think we've got about another week, maybe a week and a bit to go. So uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, you probably don't have much time, if any. Uh, But yeah, check that out. But registrations have opened, so you can already buy your tickets for that. And that is planning to be in-person uh, as a hybrid conference. So there'll be, I think the idea is mostly an in-person component, but also an online component as well. So that's going to be interesting. I think probably the, one of the first hybrid conferences in our community. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Do you have any uh, thoughts on, on CppCon this year, Anastasia? Yeah,
1: I think it would be a very interesting experience um, taking the consideration to hybrid. So uh, I don't think we'll be, our team will be going in person, but we'll try to join online event for sure. I actually submitted a couple of uh, talks for a call for paper submission, which actually, yeah, indeed ends, I guess, July 19th. So, um, if you have a topic on anything C plus related, like hurry up. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing I spotted in the announcements uh, they they actually made quite um, quite a few announcements in June, and one of that was that Piarna will be giving uh, an like uh, a live uh, keynote, so presenting and opening the uh, CPPCon this year. So uh, he will be presenting live in Aurora City. And the doc will be dedicated to C twenty, and the announcement actually um, interestingly mentioned uh, his book, uh, "The Design and Evolution of C," and it says that uh, C twenty now seem to contain like you know all the features except uh, the unified function call syntax from this book. So, which mm. makes the keynote especially interesting. And also, uh, the interesting point is that right now is exactly the time when C features are uh, finally uh appearing in the you know practically in the major compilers so that's the time when you can actually start using this plus plus 20 in your real projects so it would be really there. interesting to see uh the keynotes and to listen to pierna so yeah waiting for that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's going to be an interesting conference whether you can get there in person or or just watching it online so i'm definitely looking forward to to that now talking of things beginning with CPP, there's a lot of those. But uh, another podcast you may have heard of it, CPP Cast. A few times this has happened where we've talked about something on this show, and then I've found out that they just covered it on, on CPP Cast. But this time, this time I'm getting ahead, and I actually know in advance that there's a couple of things we're going to cover that they've already talked about just recently. <laughs> um, but but that happens because we're if we're in a monthly schedule; they do weekly, so they they usually get ahead of us. But I, I did notice recently, though they finally recognised us as the other regular C plus podcast. So, uh, yeah, they that, had some discussions
1: on that, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the first article that um, I know they covered recently, but we're going to cover it differently. Is on uh, safe uh, formatting. So this was a a, a blog from uh, uh, Victor Zurevic, who, um who is the author of. The FMT library, which has become standardised as a, a std format, and that library is, is still evolving and still feeding into into the standard. So, um, actually, he he mentions the um, there's a new proposal, which was accepted. Uh, I think we talked about it back in February. Actually, P two two one six about the the compile time format strings. So, if you provide a format string as a string literal. That can actually be checked, type-checked, at compile time um, now uh, in in the library. And once this proposal has been accepted, um, then or, or applied, should I say, that will be in not just C++23, but actually applies back to C++20 as well, because there's no reason not to. So that's quite interesting, quite a big feature to to go retrospectively into the standard. There's a couple of things in the the article, though, that that struck me. One of them was where he talks about, uh, in fact, I will read the the quote, formatting facilities in languages other than C are usually type safe. For example, in Python, you get an exception when trying to format a string as an integer. So it's comparing here to C's uh, printf, which is, before std format, the only way to do format strings in, in C++. So it's actually strange to think that until recently, Python was actually more type safe than C++ when it came to string formatting. Something to think about. He also mentions in there, and it was something that was picked up on CPBCast, that he was quite surprised that the, the compile time overhead was fairly minimal. He was expecting it to to add a bit of a drag on compile times, but uh, no, so it was within the, the margin of, of error for different build runs which is a nice segue onto the next article <laughs> on cpp lit which is um uh library include times so me- measurements of all the the uh, the standard library headers and um, this is just on on windows so it's um not necessarily going to be true for all standard library implementations but yes yeah, definitely some key offenders there for adding build times when you include standard library headers, one of them is std format. Actually, has uh, quite a big compile time footprint. So maybe it's not so surprising that the extra feature didn't add too much to that. But uh, what, what do you think about that? Any uh, any extra comments? Yeah, on-
1: there. There are in uh, GitHub, where the uh, library is described, I would say that there are a very interesting uh, description for the conditions in which the measurements were taken. Because, like, you know, every time you look at some measurements, the first question you ask, how did you actually measure there? Because you want to reproduce, you fail, and then you start digging into the, you know, into the conditions. And the very first thing they say there was a little bit controversial to our team when we were discussing that, as they were actually measuring the kind of the baseline, the lower limit of the uh, header inclusion because they were not uh, actually using the headers, so just including them. And so times might become significantly bigger, as they say, uh, if you try actually using, especially they have a uh, templated code. So this baseline is maybe not really very practical, I mean, like if you include something, you're likely use that. Uh, and they're also using the O2 optimizations, I guess, uh, in the actual uh, compilation line uh, they put there. So uh, it might sound like this baseline is really um, unpractical in that sense that you don't know how to use that. So you usually use the headers. And so that's the where the compile time is actually coming from. But yeah, the, still... Um, make sense to measure something because I don't know how to measure with the usages because the usages could be completely different. I mean, you can use the whole header or just part of it and it changes the um, compilation time significantly. But overall, the rest of the conditions were kind of more reasonable to me. I mean, they were saying that uh, they were Measuring the sub includes as they were included for the first times, which totally makes sense. So that's the worst case in that sense, not the uh, not the best one. And uh, they were definitely me- measuring without any like caching. Um, and for I guess for the release builds with C latest flag. So and yeah, the the actual measurements were taken with Visual Studio. 2019, I guess. So if you want to reproduce, just take that. So, yeah, but this um, baseline condition looks kind of interesting to me. I mean, like how do things actually change in practice? (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think we are coming from that. Maybe it doesn't sound so useful if it's not including usage, but on the other hand, I think what this is really setting out to do is literally to measure the impact of the inclusion model because it does compare it to the uh, module inclusions or inputs there, which were basically just little blips on the chart, milliseconds compared to hundreds or even thousands of milliseconds for for some of these header inclusions. It does achieve that purpose of showing that using modules could be quite a significant save on uh, compile times, um, particularly if you're using a lot of these more heavy headers. So... Yeah, I'm. Uh, you need to understand what the constraints are, I agree. Well, talking of uh, standard library headers, that takes us nicely on to standards news, where we do talk about upcoming standards, of course. And the, the big news this month is that we had another plenary session. That's the, uh, the, the session where the, the committee gets together to vote things into the standard and Herb's, Herb Sutter's trip report of the, the plenary session always amuses me when he calls it a trip report, but he didn't actually go anywhere. But, um, you know, old habits die hard. So his, his trip report covers some of the highlights of, of that plenary session. But before we get on to the, those details, actually struck me in, in some of his introductory remarks. He mentioned, but well, he actually said, uh, we continue to have the same priorities and the same schedule we originally adopted. C23. So, despite all the changes of moving online because of the pandemic and also the changes to the, the, the structure of how the, the, the meetings are run, uh, they moved more to a monthly, um, monthly meetings rather than uh, quarterly. A lot of things have gone slower as well. So, people have asked, you know, is that going to change how we actually run that schedule? But you no, know, it's saying all the priorities are the same, the schedule is the same. And one of the consequences of that, if you look at the, the schedule itself, the links from there, the next meeting, the one coming up in, uh, in a few months' time, because we just had the last one, the next one uh, will actually be the last meeting to approve C plus plus twenty three features. So the last meeting for new C plus plus twenty three language proposals that we hadn't seen before. So if you've got any new features to go into the language, the next meeting is the last chance to bring those up. And also the last meeting to approve C plus plus twenty three features, needing library response. So we're already getting um, towards the end of the C plus plus twenty three cycle in, in in that sense. And and the meeting after that, uh, C plus plus twenty design should be feature complete. So pretty much locked down at that point. It's just wording and defect reports and and tweaks here and there. Uh, and but they usually manage to sleep. Slip a few extra things in as well under the guise of uh, bug fixes, but uh, basically it is feature complete by that point. So we only seem to have just got C plus plus twenty out the door. Uh, most compilers only support half if if that much of it, uh, and we're already talking about finishing C plus plus twenty three. So yeah, it seemed like things have been moving moving slowly, but actually uh, we're we're getting quite far into that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, maybe that's intentional, you know, to uh, let compilers, <laughs> you know, finish the C plus plus twenty and mm. you know slow down the new things, uh, so that they can actually yeah um, stay aligned. <laughs> I don't know, but it looks too early to me indeed. But um, yeah, taking into, into account we still don't have the uh, big C plus plus twenty things in the major compilers, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, that might be reasonable. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I've have, I've have said before that I think having C plus plus twenty three be mostly a uh, some people call it a bug fix release. It's not quite right, but I, more of a catch up release. I think just rounding things out, fixing things here and there. Yes, and just maybe um uh, adding some little features, but nothing nothing too big. I think we we've had enough big features for a little while. Um, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: Agree, yeah. Actually, I was talking about that at my workshop at your conference that ah. having quality releases is good enough. You know? Yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> the yeah, Quality release is a better term, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, that meeting after Next that I mentioned, the the one where the design should be feature complete, they're also planning for that to be the, the first in-person meeting, back in person. Um, if so, it will be in uh, Portland, Oregon. So... That's quite exciting. It'll actually be two years since the the last one, the last uh, in-person meeting at that point. So uh, hoping that's going to pan out, but obviously that's dependent on a lot of unknowns at this point. Okay, so the um, the first uh, proposal that that went in that I wanted to bring out was uh, P1938, which is the one that talks about, well, it's if const eval, is the uh, the feature being proposed, and it basically does the same thing as if is constant evaluated, which is a little bit difficult to to parse verbally. So, um, if you uh, if you're watching this on um, on video or you're you have a podcast player that can show chapter art, I'll have that up on the screen. But you can do a uh, a condition to say execute this branch if we are in, a, in a, a constant evaluated context. So you can maybe have, say, two different versions of an algorithm. One that's fast and optimized, but not really suitable for compile time for some reason. Um, and then a, a simpler one, we don't mind it, it takes too long because it's all going to happen at compile time anyway. That, that's quite a common uh, usage for this sort of thing. Now, you've been able to do that since C plus plus twenty, with this is constant evaluated. The trouble is the natural way that people want to write it is to say if constexpr is constantly evaluated. And the trouble is that's exactly wrong because by the time you put the constexpr in there, you're already in a constantly evaluated context, and so it will always be true. So uh, it just it just doesn't work. So that's the main motivation for this paper, which actually was it was proposed in the C twenty timeframe. But uh, as a, a defect report, I think, they didn't quite get in at the time because it's thought, well, we can live with, with what we have. So they just wanted to get in now to uh, to, to fix that problem. There's a couple of other consequences as well, because even if you do get it right, there's still some things you can't actually do in the if part. When, when you say, well, I am in a constant evaluated context, but by the time the, uh, the parser gets to see it, before it's been, uh, that the path has been chosen, it has to evaluate certain things. So if, you've, if you call another const eval function, and you pass it an argument that depends on, say, an argument you've been given, a const argument, it may or may not be compile time. And if it's not, then it will fail to compile. So that doesn't quite work either. So this introduces a, a different type of scope this um, if uh, const eval, which doesn't have that problem. It's um, uh, you know the, the parser doesn't actually see it until after it's decided whether to take that path. So it just happens at a slightly different stage of the uh, the parsing. So it really is a, a bug fix, really, <laughs> although it is a new language feature. And then some people have asked, "Well, are we going to deprecate is constant evaluated?" And the answer to that is no. Um, Partly because there's still valid reasons to have it, like if you want to say is constantly evaluated and something else, then being able to have it that way is is useful. Although you can write it yourself, um, you you know, write your own version of is constantly evaluated in terms of is constant eval. The trouble is, then lots of people would do that, and there'll be all these different versions around. Simply enough, but because we have this problem with if constexpr and is constantly evaluated compilers are starting to warn about that usage. And if we don't have a standard version for them to warn about, then they'll have to be even more sophisticated to warn about people's ad hoc versions instead. So that's probably not the best can kind of worms to open up. And on that note, actually, going back to C++ on C, one of my new colleagues, like Jolie, did a, a demo of uh, SonarLint at the conference. And he actually used exactly this example. The the if constexpr is constantly evaluated and just showed how SonarLint actually not only catches that, but actually gives quite a good error message or a warning telling you exactly what's going wrong. Whereas uh, some of the compiler warnings, yeah, it warns you about it, but it's not immediately obvious why it's warning you. So it's definitely a a problematic case to be in the language. So good that that's been fixed, even if it's not terribly exciting. (laughs) It's just a, an example of um, the the yeah the quality release. I think that's a good way of, of putting it that we're looking forward to. Do, do you have any uh, opinions on that?
1: Um, I haven't actually um, dig deeper into it, but I think that's indeed a good place, you know, for tools to step in and, and to help with some things here um, until you get a proper fix,
0: maybe. In yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame in a way that um uh, it sort of happened that way around given that this was detected quite late, unfortunately, in the cycle for C20, but before it was finalized. But um as we said, you know, there is a use for these constant evaluated version as well. Okay, well, moving on. P1659 talks about starts with and ends with, which we, we got previously as member functions for std string really useful basic functions that um, I'm sure many of us have written our own versions of at different times. Of course, when we've written our own versions, we've probably had to write them as free functions because we can't write our own versions of uh, standard member functions. So it seemed like a good thing that they got put as member functions onto StdString. Well, that's not what the author of uh, P1659 argues. He, He thinks that they should always have been free functions because that's actually uh, a better way to extend standard library features with with algorithms. And uh, it goes as far as to propose that um, SD8, that's uh, standing document 8, which talks about compatibility. So introducing features into the language which may break source level compatibility with with, uh, previous versions of the standard. uh, Advice for minimizing that or, or when it's you know what, when it's, uh, that's acceptable or not. Uh, he's proposing adding a bit in there about always preferring uh, non-member algorithms. In this particular case, he's proposing them to be added as range algorithms, which makes sense these days, of course. Now we have ranges, so that means you'd be able to use them not just with strings, but with any sequence that can be expressed as a range. And he gives examples with sted iota of, of sequences, which is, uh, is fair enough. And not only that, but you can also specify what operator gets used in the comparison. So it's not just an exact match, you know, it starts with exactly these characters, but you can also do um, lesser or greater than comparisons as well, which I can't personally think of a use for, but it's nice that you've got that flexibility. Why not if you're adding the new feature? So let's hope it starts with and ends with that. And then, a final one to, to look at. P2166 talks about how we can construct, again, std strings. Strings get a lot of, uh, lot of a look in, in this one. You've always been able to s- construct a std string from a, a string literal or a pointer to a sequence of characters. Trouble is, if you passed it null, that's always been undefined behavior, and different implementations do different things, which always exacerbates the situation. So it may or may not crash. And this paper sets out to fix that in a very small way, <laughs> which is if you pass it the the null pointer value, so known at compile time to be null pointer, then it will fail to compile, which is great. And on the surface, was seem to be, well, who would actually do that anyway? Well, it turns out quite a few fairly high-profile libraries have been doing that. They found cases in uh, the LLVM uh, source code, in uh, uh, POCO, in its uh, ODBC implementation, even in protobuf. They all had cases where std strings were being constructed from null pointer that was known at compile time. And it particularly comes up in um, generic code. I think some of the examples were were generic. So you don't actually you can't actually see by looking at the code that that's what's happening. But it is known at compile time. And so it's good that that can actually be detected. It would be nice if it, we could make it impossible to do it even at runtime, but do that ship is sailed, unfortunately. But um, yeah, any any thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, like I just want to say that any cases when we do eliminate undefined behavior <laughs> um, are actually great, <laughs> because I should say that that's probably the biggest point of developer frustrations in C plus so, plus. It is. Yeah, even yeah. a small case is better than nothing.
0: Uh, and it is um, an interesting uh, tension, I think, in the evolution of the language. We we often say that C allows undefined behavior so that we can you know wring that the last bit of performance out of something on the basis that well you know we just write our code in such a way that the undefined behavior is never invoked but of course that's much easier said than done but over time we're getting more and more features in the language that make it impossible for us to actually invoke it so it's there but we can't get to it unfortunately <laughs> there's still many many cases where that's not the case, but it would be nice if, if we can actually make more headway in just making it not compile if you were going to invoke undefined behavior while making it theoretically possible, as in not having runtime checks prevent it. Move those to compile time checks would be a good direction, I think. But um, yeah, again, easier said than done, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that's the end of the, the standards news. this month so tools news is up next so hope over to you
1: yeah thank you phil um actually there is a nice connection with talking about the undefined behavior um since uh there is a lifetimes proposal which is also working on that i mean like eliminating these undefined behaviors from um like tangling pointers and knowledge referencing and like escaping from local sco- scopes all these things we talked about that early in may when we talked about the C line opening the 2021.2 ap program where we started implementing the lifetimes analysis so we're still on it but uh this time um uh like in june we were more focused on debugger enhancements so um and it seems to be uh that these enhancements are actually trending among our users so i did a quick poll in twitter asking about uh the favorite uh fixes the favorite changes in the uh recent um ap and the debugger was definitely trending there so it's very interesting to see so um one great feature there is an opportunity, um, which we called relaxed breakpoints. So, uh, they are relaxed in the way that, uh, C line is using the base name or the source file instead of the absolute path. And this is very useful in case where the path mappings are too complex. And so you kind of, um, like, um, don't want to fill them, uh, in all the details in the debugger configuration. But, like the, the source file names are still the same. So it's just some some paths, mappings, which uh, doesn't work accurately. So the uh, relaxed breakpoints means that uh, you say like, okay, so use the source file name um, to detect... Uh, where it is top. And it now works in C-Line, so you can switch any breakpoint to the relaxed breakpoint now in the UI. Uh, the second thing which I personally really like is a very, uh, I would call it a small UI uh, thing that really changes the world You debug, <laughs> uh, because that's about the preview tab. Uh, it, was recently, um, like it was previously introduced for other features in the IDE, but we now uh, enabled it for for the debugger. So that means that um, it actually saves the editor from polluting with too many tabs, because when you are stepping actively for the code, like a new tab is uh, all the time is open for you in the editor. And by the end of the debugging process, you're just, you know, um, stuck with Quite many tabs opened in the editor, so if you enable the preview tab, everything will be opened for you just in a single tab. So, and uh, the name will be like updated there, and you will see that single tab, uh, which opens. Um, the file every time you step into it. And that's uh, more convenient, I guess, in terms of the UX. So just a very small change, which makes the experience completely different. Um, And finally, there were some changes around the LDB. So first of all, we made the um, GDB remote debug, which was previously uh, introduced like Several years ago, we also enabled the LDP version. Uh, so you can now use the uh, LDP remote debug there in C line. And also on Windows, um, you probably know that C line is coming. Um, it comes with bundled LDB-based uh, debugger implemented by the JetBrains team uh, for the case of the uh, Microsoft Visual Studio toolchain. So uh, we're using this debugger in Line and in Rider for Unreal Engine to debug the code compiled with MSWC. Uh And the debugger, this debugger actually got a massive overhaul uh, with the significant improvements targeted on NatVis customization support. So there are lots of changes for general C++, NatVis, and also for Unreal Real engine in writer. So, and we've heard many um, like good feedback about that. So, if you're using this toolchain in C line, you'll definitely have to check it out. So, there are lots of interesting things. And I guess that's mostly it about the uh, C line update for this month. And coming to the next. Um, tool in the family is definitely ReSharper C++. So and uh, I would like to mention only one big thing here, but it's really uh, very valuable. It's the inline function refactoring. So, you know, it's always good to have the refactoring working in both directions. So when you can do the refactoring and you have the opposite, uh, opposite one. So when you have the extract method, or extract function refactoring, uh, the obvious opposite action is inline function. So now it also works uh, in resharper C++. So um, like, assume the function body is quite obvious and you want to make sure the code is like maybe more straightforward and easier to read and just minimize the number of extra function calls. And so you just do this uh, inline function refactoring. Uh, it's. I have to say, it's not always possible, and in that case, the refactoring C plus will warn you. So it will just tell you that. Yeah, for example, uh, I cannot inline the virtual functions, or I can't, can't do this inline refactoring. So you you will get a proper message that the refactoring was not possible. But when you get the refactoring, actually, uh, you you will benefit from the fully automated approach. Uh, so like. Uh, definitely the code transformations will be performed and the name conflicts will be handled for all your variables and also the resulting code will be reformatted. So you get a proper uh, code refactoring with that and uh, then you can proceed with further uh, like cleanup of the code or whatever you're doing there. So uh, there are other changes in the AP for Wisher per C++ but I think inline uh, function refactoring will be the biggest feature delivered in 2021.2 for C++. And also have to um, mention that um, a couple of days ago, I posted uh, in my Twitter, I posted the um, call for uh, those who've never tried the ReSharper C++ or ReSharper for the UX study. So if you would like to participate, you're very welcome. Just uh, find the link in my Twitter Um and join us. Uh, We would like really to improve the um, experience coming from the tool. And we're looking for those who've um, kind of like working on Windows in Visual Studio and never tried ReSharper C++ or ReSharper to like uh, do some UX study with us.
0: I'm afraid I don't qualify for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably not. You've seen uh, quite a lot from the tool. So yeah, we're looking for those who are new to us uh, so that they can try and like share their, you know, first impression uh, of how these things are going for them, for their projects.
0: Right. Really?
1: Yeah. And I think this news, I don't know who is the best uh, person to cover it, <laughs> because that's about the sonar Lead plugin, but for C-Line. <laughs> yep. uh, have you tried yeah. it, by the way, Phil? <laughs> let
0: fight over this one. I haven't actually. Not not in uh, <laughs> in line Uh I have actually been trying it in just about every other context so far, but <laughs> that's, that's the next yeah. one.
1: Yeah, let me introduce the, this uh, then. So I actually played with it recently. So in general, like the code analysis abilities in C-Line, they provide you with many opportunities to catch, like, you know, various types of errors and um Uh, possible inaccuracies in the code. So there are basic compiler checks and the data flow analysis on all these lifetimes checks uh, we were talking in May, uh, like some MISRA-specific checks. But also... uh, if you uh, look at the like native building abilities in the C line, you can also find that there are some third-party plugins which kind of strengthen the cut quality production in C line. So, for I guess from the very first days of the C line ID, there is a CPP check plugin. Um, with some um, slow but still contribution into it from the community. But now there is also a Sonar Lint plugin. So uh, if you're interested in using the uh, Sonar source linter in Line, so you can check this free plugin. So install it from the plugin repository, so you can do that right from the IDE. Um, And it brings uh, like lots of uh, checks. There are also like MISTRA checks and the C++ Corey Guidelines checks. I was playing with the plugin uh, before doing my workshop at C++ on C because I was referring to uh, Sonar Source tools, mostly in the context of the CI integration and all these uh, you know, pull requests, uh, checks and code reviews, uh, related code analysis. But the Sonar lint plugin, just on its own, it's uh, is also just a good linter which adds some value to your ability in code analysis abilities in C-Line and it's free so you can um, actually... Play with it, um, and the recent version was exactly released in June, and so you can see um, uh, how it works. I guess the the plugin itself, not the linter, but the plugin itself is open source, so you can even maybe contribute uh, to it and like yeah, um, add some values there as well. So and I hope that Phil will play with the plugin, <laughs> will uh, submit some feedback <laughs> to us maybe as well.
0: Yeah, just in case it wasn't clear, because I didn't mention it explicitly, but <laughs> so not thought <so>, is I've now moved to. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, getting a little bit here and trying yet yeah, to think. <laughs> yeah. So um, there is also another plugin uh, which I have to mention here, since we started mentioning the third-party plugins for C for code analysis. Actually, the topic is really really hot. So I mm-hmm. think I was I would just select the proper time for doing the code analysis workshop. Uh, so there is another plugin in place from PVS Studio. Uh, it's open now for free beta testing. So the the overall analyzer, um, I guess it's not free. There are just some cases when it's free. But um, anyway, you can sign up for the free testing. Uh, there is a plugin and also a separate analyzer, which uh, you'll get a trial trial key for. So uh, there are also some MISRA checks and some general C++ checks. And I guess PVS Studio are, are quite often uh, blogging about their uh code analysis checks uh in on various resources so you probably have heard about them so yeah there is like a selection now of uh interesting code analysis plugins for c-line so you can get the native uh functionality building plus all these uh like fancy plugins and you can actually build a plugin on your own so uh the api is open so if you have a code anal- code analyzer some linter. You can actually also integrate it um, into C-Lion and see the checks um, in the editor, which is, I guess, that's great, like having all this ecosystem evolving in this direction. Um, and actually talking about the PVS Studio, I uh, spotted another interesting news from them. Uh, it was coming in the, um, I guess, end of May, beginning of um, June. So about their switching to Clank to compile the actual analyzer on Windows. Actually, it was not just the uh, LVM Clang, it was Clang CL, I guess. So they were previously using the um, MSVC toolchain, obviously, and they switched to um, using Clang CL compiler, also from uh, Visual Studio installation. And the very, very interesting insight was that uh, they that change, like they just... Simply changing the compiler actually improved the performance of the analyzer by, I guess, 13 percent was mentioned there in the blog. Um, that that's really surprising me, uh, and there are also an interesting outcome in this blog post. Um, in the form of a list of things that actually went wrong <laughs> and they had to correct while they were switching to Clang cell compiler. Like for example, they were using um, uh, int uh, 128 type, uh, which is supported out of the box in GCC and Clang and was not in the MSVC. So they had to uh, update some Um, per processor definitions and they had to fix some alignments because they were getting some segmentation fault errors. So yeah, there is some uh, interesting story behind this uh, move to the Clang compiler. And that reminds me that actually changing the compiler, you know, is not an easy step. And especially when we talk about the Clang on Windows, uh, I have to uh, say that uh, our team actually knows the pain, so uh, we had some slightly related, uh, but a little bit different experience when we were setting Clank with Minty um, WV64 uh, toolchain in C Line. we, I guess, even uh, blogged about it in our blog, and there were also lots of interesting observation how to cook the pl- proper linters and all the all the tools there. So, yeah, if you're, like, willing to use Clank on Windows, you have to, you know... Um, Follow some
0: tips and tricks here. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that surprised me, actually. Obviously, they did hit some fairly gnarly problems, but for a, you know, porting a mature code base from Microsoft Compiler to Clang CL, it, it actually seemed fairly easy. I, I thought they were going to hit more, but maybe they glossed <laughs> over some things. Who knows?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, it also surprised me the, the speed-up they got. Obviously, it, it depends what you're doing, but um, generally, the, the Microsoft Pi does have quite a good name for performance, so that was, that was quite an interesting result. But they did impact their build times. I think they got a bit slower, didn't they?
1: Yeah, the builds were slowed down, I guess, uh, by by. 8% probably Something they were like mentioning. Yeah. They were not getting into much of the details of so their performance improvements, but uh, there are just some tips for that. So I'm not sure. Maybe they will plug later about all the details. But yeah, indeed, the build times uh, got worse. by, But just not 8%. It. I mean, it's not big. No. So yeah. it's, it's fine.
0: They get that back the first time they run it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so finally, then... What can C do that C plus plus can't?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess this uh time uh, and finally um Fred is my favorite one on Reddit during this month. So there was an actual Fred on Reddit um which was like, it, I guess it was started in early July, but since we're a little bit late for June, uh, I decided to uh, add this one to incorporate it because it's really a very funny fret. So uh, the question asked there is if after C++ 17, there is a single C feature not possible in C++. First of all, surprisingly, uh, I guess, Mostly, nearly the only uh, actual language feature mentioned in this long thread was the um, designated initializers, uh, which were actually delivered in twenty. They are a little bit different from yeah. what we get in C, and there is, I guess, a link to more details in the thread, so the people were discussing it there. Uh, so there were a few people uh, mentioning the designated initializers, but... That probably was the only language feature. All the the majority of the people there were mostly talking about the, surprisingly, ABI. Um, oh. So it seems to be a hot topic now in the community. So, uh, yeah, they were mentioning the stable cross-platform ABI as the only thing they uh, now miss. And that's all interesting in the context of the general discussions in the C++ community about like, you know, breaking or not breaking or how to break it properly, uh, the C++ ABI. All, all this, like when, when you hear the AB award that many times, you start thinking that probably it is that important. Um, but yeah, that that's a funny thing. Uh, obviously, there were quite common things mentioned in the FRAT, like the simplicity, uh, which is quite often mentioned in the context of the C language, and there were people targeting like. Uh, noticing that C++ is also trying to move to this, uh, you know, simplicity goal uh, right now with the some recent proposals trying to make the language uh, simpler. Um, also, uh, the Fred was mentioning the, I guess, the C bindings for many other programming languages, which is like, yeah, the the obvious thing you usually have. Uh, and also every, also. Maybe, um, like, good point mentioned there was the compiler support for the niche platforms and especially in the embedded compilers. So, uh, because the probably because the C compiler is much easier to implement, you quite often get it on all these platforms and all these embedded platforms, but not the C compiler. With C, you like more or less have some um, issues to get uh, to the point. Um, and yeah, as usual, like the faster compile times, I mean, they were mentioned quite many times there. And not that you can't get the same with the C, but just the point that it requires uh, much bigger effort usually than in C. So. Yeah, just all these, you know, um, typical arguments. And my favorite one was probably the answer that you can spell the name of C with a single keystroke. Um, So, yeah, that's probably the biggest argument there after the ABI and compile times. Uh, What about you? Have you spotted anything interesting in the thread, (laughs) fill?
0: Well, you mentioned um, the very few language features I mentioned that were different. As well as uh, designated initializers, I also saw uh, Val Array and... Yeah. Um, restrict is the other one. And it, interestingly, all those features, because most C++ compilers, in fact, all the mainstream ones are also C compilers just with a, with a different switch. They support all of those by extensions anyway, which can be a bit of a problem sometimes because you can start to rely on them in in your code, especially things like, I think, yeah. the, the designated initializers. The, the differences are more to do with you can like reorder the ones in In the c version i think but not in the c plus plus version except most compilers will let you reorder them in the c plus plus version because you can do it in c and then of course you're running against a different compiler and it'll fail because that's not the way the standard (laughs) dictates so you can get into into trouble with that which i suppose is another argument for for c (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: but yeah, overall, the thread is very interesting. Yeah. And maybe you can also throw there a couple of answers cool. <laughs> if you have some words. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, so that's that's it for, for this month. Well, for last month, really. <laughs> this month is not <laughs> done yet. <laughs> so, but we'll try and get back on track um, next time. And again, if you have uh, anything that you'd like to see on the show, any uh, particular community views, do let us know. Um, and, but until then... We'll
1: see you then. Bye. Yeah. See you. Bye.